0: He's controversial, 20,
1: 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken, you will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids, and he tells it like it is, that you watched a great athlete named The Franchise, and he was the greatest world's Heavyweight Champion of all time. He is The
0: Franchise
1: Shane Douglas,
0: and you are listening to The Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to
1: get your ass franchised. Podcast,
0: and you're listening to the Triple Threat Podcast here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, bringing to you an episode with the jersey number of Larry Bird, episode number 33, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by the ta- my tag team partner on the two-man power trip, the one and only John Paz, and on this show, our other tag team partner with Free Bird Rules, tonight's as usual, <laughs> it is the one and only former ECW champion and ECW original and ECW mainstay. We covered it all last week, but he is the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode thirty-three.
1: Man, it's great to be here. And first of all, so the so the audience understands, this is the first episode that we've done. Uh, that the just a few days ago, the three of us had spent considerable time together and. The Icons Convention in Philadelphia. So typically, we're just like in a in like a phone sex relationship. But this th- this past week, we were in like the legit deal, like the the big Menage a Trois in Philadelphia.
0: <laughs> it was such an awesome weekend in uh, Philadelphia. You had a huge weekend on uh, huge night on Friday, which we'll get to in a minute. But Saturday at the Icons of Wrestling Convention, it's probably about the sixth or seventh one they've done. They picked the perfect venue for the uh, the convention in the ECW arena, and you'd think on paper it would be an ECW party, but, I mean, they have brought in all these huge names into the ECW arena that, in your wildest dreams, you never would ever have imagined seeing. Ric Flair in the ECW arena, Sting in the ECW arena, Booker T, but you do, and i got to tell you something, you look around that room, and we've said this after every convention, you, you you have to blink, you have to pinch yourself because what a collection of talent we saw there on Saturday. Maybe the best crop we've seen outside of a WrestleCon or a
1: WrestleCade. Yeah, I, you know I've always said like I, I was telling the fans on Saturday, I said you know if, if the damn Russians that are so meddling in our in our life today, if they would have dropped a bomb on that on the arena on Saturday, sports entertainment would have ruled forever. The professional wrestling industry would have been dead once and for all. And one fell swoop. Anybody that was at, anybody was there on Saturday. And, you know, all the big names that are still alive uh, were there. To me, it was sort of surreal to see Ric Flair in the ECW arena because, you know, we talked about before, you know, how close that, that angle came to fruition there. Uh, never in my wildest dreams that I ever believe that I would see Ric Flair there, be it for an ECW show or for an, for a convention or a flea market if nothing else but to see him in the building and and sting you know it was you know for us uh in the the business these conventions are such a great uh time because it's sort of like a family reunion you know some of these guys you run into 50 times a year and some you don't see for 20 years and these conventions always give us that opportunity to sort of rub elbows and and catch up and uh, i always loved doing them and and saturday was fantastic in philadelphia
0: it was a hard day's work. I mean, it was really. I mean, especially you know, for me, I'm traveling from Virginia. John's coming down from New Jersey. You already in Philly, and it was like this day. When I was done with it, by the end of the day, I just I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to John. I got to say goodbye to you, but John yeah. was running Barry Wyndham to the uh, the airport, so I wasn't even able to say goodbye to him. But when I got a chance to uh, you know pop back over and see where you were, I mean, I I got to tell you, and this is on the <laughs> this is on the run sheet. This is something that John, myself, our good buddy Randy, who was there, uh, John's brother Jay, the the picture of you next to the boogeyman. I got to tell you something <laughs> is ingrained in my brain, and something that on <laughs> some planet the boogeyman in the franchise would make one hell of a tag team. I got to tell
1: you. <laughs> you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I had never, I, I'd met him, said hello, that kind of things before, but I had never really spoken with him, and. I was really impressed, impressed with the way that he interacted with the audience, uh, you know, with the uh, fans that were there, especially the kids. You know, the to me, professional wrestling, I started as a wrestling fan when I was four years old. You know, we've talked about that. And I think most people do similarly. And to see these kids that, you know, some of them were so terrified. One kid kept trying to get away, you know, to tell his dad, no, 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 I'm not going up there. And. You know, he, no matter where he went, there were so many people squeezed and he couldn't get out. And uh, other kids, you know, you know, boogeyman would, you know, stop and like really terrorize before he'd, you know, let down the gimmick and say, you you good kid or a bad kid. And they start talking to him. Every one of those kids walked away with an experience they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And I would dare say that uh, that interaction at four, five, six, seven years old, a lot of these kids, they'll uh, that stoked in them the desire to be a wrestling fan and uh you know he and i had you know obviously sitting side by side most of the day um you know we had a chance to really talk you know and i i had to keep correcting him because he kept calling me mr douglas and you know which I, I understand the respect factor and i really appreciate that but you know to me i kept looking around for my dad i was looking for george to walk in behind me somewhere and, uh no, I thought he was a great guy, and I, I thought that the way he interacted with the fans made it an experience for the kids, you know, and the other fans as well. You know, everybody that was over there was laughing and having a great time, and that really, in the to me, the final analysis is if somebody pays that money to come and spend that money to get autographs and pictures and everything else, you don't want it to be just, hey, get, here's my autograph, and I keep moving, I don't want to talk to you. You're making an experience for the fans, and they'll be a fan forever. And, and Boogeyman did an exemplary job of that on Saturday. It was really, really cool to see.
0: If you do your Wikipedia homework, you would know that you and the Boogeyman are actually, you guys are the same age and only a few months apart.
2: But the really? didn't,
0: yeah, he just he didn't get into the business until the mid 2000s, where his story is that he tried out for one of the tough enough. Seasons, one of the early tough enough seasons, but he was disqualified because he had, uh, you know, misled the application and put an incorrect age on there, and was <laughs> removed from the competition. But they obviously saw that in the physical specimen that he is.
1: Yeah, no they find him right up. Yeah, he's. I would have. I've never seen him without his makeup. The makeup that I'm aware of, and uh, you telling me that I'm, I'm stunned because I would have thought. You know, late twenties, early maybe mid thirties at best. Uh, he's he's got a phenomenal physique, and you can tell really keeps himself in shape. Uh, you know, wrestling. You know, I, I you know the longest time in my career, I was one of those guys, you know, the wrestling purist. Well, that guy's not a, a, a Harley race type wrestler, and uh, but you know, I've come to realize over the years that, like Bill Watts used to say, at Thanksgiving dinner you don't want to you don't just want a big pile of turkey. You want a little bit of everything. And, you know, for those kids that were so entertained, scared to death, some of them at first, but by the time any of them walked away, you know, he had one kid that was scared to death with his dad. He and his brother finally went up and got an autograph, but very, very, you know, he kept looking at Boogeyman out of the corner of his eye. And if, if he turned left, that kid was keeping his eyes peeled on him. And after they took the picture, the kid thought he was safe. Boogeyman ran over and grabbed him and picked him up and started running and said, We're out of here. You know, and, and the kid started screaming, Put me down, put me down. You know, but he had a blast. It was so funny to watch. Like I said, that kid will remember that for the rest of his life. And all of that is part and parcel of drawing drawing a house and drawing a crowd. So uh I had a really good time talking to Boogeyman on Saturday and and watching the way that he interacted with fans.
0: Such a uh, such a unique performer. But hey, you two were both uh you know, former ECW superstars, of course, him being in the revamped ECW.
1: Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you said if he started the business late, he would have had the opportunity to to have been in the original. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a different story for a different time.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Now, John, as I welcome you in here, I mean, we sat up in the front of that room, in front of that huge ECW arena, the revamped ECW arena, and we we're up there with Art Anderson and Barry Windham. And then right next to us was Tully Blanchard and J.J. Dillon. And we've talked about the Horseman before. But this time we added in a, a, an old friend there, Shane, that we just mentioned before. We added in the Nature Boy. And that was one of the first, public, yeah, that was one of the first public appearances <laughs> of Ric Flair since he had his health scare at the end of last year. But, John, you know, being in the same uh, room as the whole entire Horseman, the inner Mark and in you, were you going crazy or what?
2: Oh, I was absolutely loving it. I mean, obviously, we got to hang out with Arn and, and Barry and Tully all day, and, and we got to hang out with the cave, But getting Slayer in the mix and getting them all together and being able to get that picture is just unbelievable. The inner uh, Mark in me or, you know, me from years ago would have said, oh, that'll never happen. You'll First of all, you'll never be talking to these guys. Second of all, <laughs> you'll never get a picture of all the horsemen. Now I have it on my Facebook wall. I mean, it's pretty pretty awesome. It's pretty surreal and uh I'm just glad uh, at least we were the first to get them together because now it seems like, you know, it's a the, the little bit of the copycat effect right now. Promotion after promotion after promotion is starting to book the horsemen together.
0: Well, you can't go wrong. You know, it's uh, it's one of those timeless acts, and if we could still get them all together in one spot, it's, uh, it's one of those chances that you can't pass up. But we looked around the room, and, again, it's uh, one of the problems that you do run into is you don't get to see – Everybody's there, and if I didn't see a guy in red face paint, I wouldn't have known Sting was there because it was so packed. But <laughs> there was one person that I was legitimately shocked was there, and I had we'd even talked to his promoter and knew he was there. I forgot Scott Hall was also there. Shane, Scott Hall was about fifteen feet behind you. Yeah, and you, you could get lost in the shuffle in that big of a room.
1: Yeah, I, I you know I because of the throng of people, I saw Scott there and. Uh, you know wanted to try to get over say hello, and uh just never was able to you know any anytime they'd start to move in fact we'd have to tell a line of people, hey, excuse me for saying to go take a a piss break but yeah uh, Scott, was at, you know like i said the if you would drop a bomb on that building that day, professional wrestling would be dead forever because uh anybody that that knows that uh that you know that secret hidden you know, a K-Fabe thing called professional wrestling. Uh, they were they, anybody was anybody was in that room, and I d- didn't get the chance to get over to say hello. Um, I'm sure he was as busy, if not far more so, on his end. Uh, yeah, just a just a great great weekend, and you know, fun. Uh, just a little sidebar. You guys were talking about the four horsemen. I saw somebody on Twitter posted a picture of the four of them standing with JJ Dillon, and uh you know, I got to admit the the kid marking me came out as well. I I said my reply on Twitter was, you know, no, wrestling royalty, no doubt about it. You know, it's uh, that is as uh, for the business that became what it became. Uh, the four horsemen are as ubiquitous to that, and uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, responsible for a lot of what happened in the wrestling business, because anybody that was rest, name, a wrestling fan on the planet that doesn't know what the four fingers being held up means. And, you know, so to see those four together, you know, I, you know, our differences aside, uh, like I posted at the time when Rick was in the hospital, it really did my heart good to see Rick there interacting with the fans, because for those of us that have spent decades in the business, uh, the fans, I hope they understand what a lifeline they are to us. You know, how energetic you feel after you engage with the fans and uh, how humbling it is that somebody would follow your career like that. And I have no doubt that Rick gets the same thing. So uh, my fervent wish for Rick is that he continues with that and sees, you know, how many fans, you know, uh, idolize him and and look up to him and and find – the pleasure in life on that end as opposed to in a drink or whatever else. Uh, but it was very, very cool to see Rick and all the horsemen there. I got a chance to spend some time with Barry the night before. And, you know, it all takes me back to being a kid because when I was that snot-nosed kid coming into the business, these were the guys that were on top and the guys that I idolized and looked up to and, and wanted to emulate. So it was, it was like a, like any other fan in the building, I was marking out that the horsemen were there.
0: I I gotta just publicly state I friggin love uh, Barry Windham, and before we get into House of Hardcore, I gotta just uh, I gotta throw John under the carpet here because uh, coming (laughs) soon to the Two Man Power Trip is a long uh, long anticipated uh, little chat there with uh, with Barry Windham. Little spoiler there, I didn't even want to mention it, but I have to mention this, John. I mean, basically, we did everything but use his own, like, deer hunting equipment to peg this guy down. I mean, that was uh, that was <laughs> one of those underrated highlights of the day, was getting to split the deal with Barry Winterman and finally get him to, uh, to kind of spend a couple of minutes there with us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It is hard to track him down. He's, like, uh, living in the boonies down there in Florida. And it's funny, I had two different promoters ask me, they said, hey, when you... You know, get in touch with Barry. Is he hard to get in touch with? And then I was like, yeah. And like, oh, okay, <laughs> thank God. I thought it was just me. I said, no, he really is hard to get in touch with. Phone reception is terrible. You re- either got to text him or email him. Or if you're on the phone with him, you better pray it's short because you're, you know you're going to lose connection. He is one of those guys, uh, you know, back, backwoods guys. He likes to uh, hunt and fish and kind of uh, lay off the land a little bit and uh, kind of be under the radar. If you would, off the grid. If you would. I know Shane, you loved uh, that he's yeah. off the grid.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Barry is I've known Barry for a long, long time and he was one of those guys that when I came into the business I just really looked up to because he was a fucking machine in the ring. You know, he could sell his ass off, he could fire up his ass, he could, you know, chain wrestle with the best of them, uh, do the do stuff, you know, the big man stuff, even though he was much thinner at that time. Uh The the funny thing we were talking about was uh, when I came into the business, you know, I'd seen, you know, Barry in the magazines and, you know, for a short time before, after cable came in, was able to watch Barry on, on uh, some of the NWA television. And every time they would say Barry Windham, you know, son of Black Jack Mulligan, I, I'd look at them and I swore it was a work because I saw no, they, they looked like, you know, like you know, me and and uh, Mick Foley's kids saying we're father and son, uh, and yet now that he's getting older, he if he's not a clone of his father, I don't know how somebody could be <laughs> look more like Blackjack Mulligan than Barry Windham does right now, and you know, just incredible how you know the passage of time does that. But you know, Barry is just such a down to earth guy. And, you know, what an incredible talent that it's, for me, it's always a, a big kick to, to talk with him and hang out with him, you know, because Barry's just a really, really great guy that's, uh, just happened to be one hell of a fucking wrestler.
0: Yeah. And if, uh, if you ever want to see anybody with a catcher's mitt attached to their hand, uh, just go shake Barry <laughs> Windham.
1: <laughs> yeah, no no doubt about that. <laughs>
0: It was uh, it was quite the weekend. So then I gotta just segue into this, and it's gonna be uh, just completely uh, entrenched here with a cheap plug. But if you tuned in on Friday night to House of Hardcore via the Twitch app, which I mean, could they give you any more pristine video quality? And this is not a plug uh, that I'm being told to say. I mean, it's watching this. Uh, show this house of hardcore show on your phone it's like if you hold it up right to your freaking eye you just think you have bad seats in the arena it's so crystal clear but a very 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 good shot that i posted on twitter a screenshot of twitch of the franchise entering the fray with his triple threat podcast t-shirt in championship gold which you can get there you dot com right now you can head over there and wear the same shirt that Shane wore to the ring in quite the fracas that was. And, Shane, I know there's some things that went down the, at the end of that match that uh, you know maybe you would have preferred to have gone in the other direction, but how was the experience on Friday night at House of Hardcore?
1: Well, as I was you know, look, you know all, the, all the work of the business aside, I think right now House of Hardcore and Tom and Dreamer are putting on the most exciting shows in America right now. Uh, very much reminiscent of what wrestling was. And, uh, uh, you know, if you could take wrestling, whether it was ECW, NWA, UWF, and transport that to 2018, I think that Dreamer is on to something that he's he's found the magic formula of how to pull it up. Uh, just doing a fantastic job of rekindling all that was great about professional wrestling. And all the while doing that, versing, you know, the older guys, like myself, along with these incredible young talents like Joey Mercury and Nick Aldis, and a, a dressing room full of others, uh, to me, it, it's the perfect combination of what professional wrestling should be in, in the shadow of the WWE sports entertainment. And with where the wrestling business had been, where it had gone, and where it's going, I think uh, House of Hardcores is forward thinking as, as any company that's out there today and uh you know from that standpoint had a blast but on Friday night was less than happy about the way that things had transpired in the arena.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh I think at first, if you were following the uh the match, the uh when the blue Meanie came down, I bet everybody kind of you know had a little bit of a sigh of relief in the ring there that the uh, the man on the outside may have been the Meanie but it ended up being a now WWE Hall of Famer, Bubba Ray Dudley. And I know that came into play uh, at
1: the end of the night. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, we first see Minnie come out. Minnie's the lovable mascot teddy bear of UCW. You know, and, and then off of that, you have uh, Bubba Ray Dudley coming down. You know, and you can imagine the reception. Uh, the thing that I always get, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I say it also very seriously. Shane Douglas uses an implement or gives Joey Mercury uh, a cheese grater to use on Tommy Dreamer and people start using the, the, the ring with, you know, anything they get their hands on yet turn it around and Billy Gunn, Tommy Dreamer, Bully Ray or Bubba Ray and, and the Sandman do the same thing. And they're the heroes of the day. Like, you know, you know, it's just, I'm sorry I'm missing the, uh, the, the uh, application of the dichotomous nature of this, that how is it that when we do it, we're just such horrible human beings and people hope they get, we get stuff shoved up our ass, and yet they do it. Tommy comes out, So the fans know. So you Philadelphia fans know. The way Tommy comes out there and kisses your rear end about how wonderful Philadelphia is and everything else. The night before he said that about some other towns, and next weekend they'll say it about whatever time he's in. Stop marking out for this guy and give credit where credit's due to the real legends in the ring. But uh you know, what i the whole thing that got me with that was how they on top of all that I just said, they come out there after the commissioner said that none of that was allowed to be done, nobody could place their hands on the managers, and yet you saw what happened. I'm crying foul it's a lot like the Patriots getting every call in their favor. Tommy Dreamer is the New England Patriots of the professional wrestling business.
0: <laughs> I think to- I think uh, Tommy Dreamer is a little bit more lovable to the fans, though, than the Patriots are. The Patriots are very heel-like to a lot of the uh, to a lot of the the average uh, sports fans, and Tommy Dreamer, you know, I would think would be more of that uh, lovable, you know, lovable, cherished role at this point, but. You know, you wore the shirt. I'm sure, I'm sure we got to send it for dry cleaning after that, match because was a lot of stuff going on. But I, I got to mention him, and that's Billy Gunn. And we talk we're about a guy that doesn't age. I mean, Billy Gunn, another just absolute specimen, and looks like he's straight out of 1998 Attitude Era Billy Gunn. I mean, he is another one that this guy is like he is stuck in the time war. But, my God, is he a massive, massive
1: man. Well, well, yeah, I, I disagree with you. I think he looks better now than he did then. Uh, you know, you always forget, you know, until you're standing right next to him. And we were talking about this on the way home. You know, you know, when they were doing the the, the guns and, you know, you know I, I thought they, before I'd ever met them, they looked to be about my size, you know, about 6'1", six 6'1 one, six one And then and, and you meet him and he's a big son of a bitch. You know, I mean, he's a massively big man. And I think him better. Not that he was in bad. I don't mean to imply that he was in bad shape then, but far from it. But I think he's in, you know, the old cliche goes, the best shape of his life. He's, he's, uh, like you said, timeless. You look at this guy and you think, you know, he looks better now than he did 20 years ago, in my estimation. And he looked great 20 years ago. Uh, Whatever it is. Whatever fountain of youth he found, I'm gonna start calling Billy Gunn Ponce de Leon because he's truly found the the the, uh, the fountain of youth. He
0: uh, he definitely has, yeah, and he's uh, you know he's he might be booked more than your regular indie talent than your regular you know guy who's out there every weekend grinding it. I think Billy Gunn's calendar is filled up for uh, for the for as long as he I think he needs it filled because he is. Uh, He's still a pretty damn hot commodity and uh all the uh all the uh all the kudos to uh to the badass one there. So we gotta uh we're gonna move forward a little bit here. We could talk about House of Hardcore and icons so the cows come home. Uh but go get that T shirt. We'll plug it again later on to remind you. But uh, another thing we talked about in relation to the show and we're gonna, we've been kinda I don't know if, if I'm lobbying for it or if uh whoever's lobbying. I think sooner or later the queen of extreme is going to find her way to the triple threat podcast because there's been a lot of tweets going on back and forth and Shane, you and I talked about it and John, we've talked about it, but I think, uh, I think the queen of extreme is going to be making her way here sooner or later. What do you think about that, Shane?
2: Well, hold
1: on a second. I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> Francine just started her way back onto the social media as, uh, you know, uh, she's getting ready to dip her toe back into the pool, so to speak. And, you know, before we start rushing the gun on this thing, I think this is the kind of thing that takes a long time, the negotiations and the proper buildup and the proper amount of respect. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that I think we have maybe sometime within like six, eight, maybe 12 months, have her on, but a slow, steady build to do it properly. Uh, this The Queen of Extreme, Francine, ain't just another guest, uh, even being the first guest on the Triple Threat podcast. This is the Queen of Extreme. Francine. So I think we have to do the proper build up and take that time just like a great angle of yesterday. Uh and just try to figure out the right way to slowly imbue the podcast into uh, the notion that the queen of extreme will be here. But I'm guessing like let's put a target date for like twelve months from now. What's that how's that sound?
0: <laughs> she has got to have some embarrassing stories of you that I don't even <laughs> think we're gonna need to to dig it out of her. I think we're going to. Uh, I think whenever this happens, and I guess we could use the old mean gene uh, or girl of monsoon. The weeks and months to come, we could <laughs> see the queen of extreme landing here, Shane, and uh, it might be when you least expect it. So, how do you like that?
1: Well, if so, I'm pleading the fifth, just uh, just so you know. And and my phrase, my favorite phrase in response to any of these potentially embarrassing stories lies, lies, lies. Um, but I, I seriously, I think we do need to take the slow approach, have our people talk to her people to make sure that she's comfortable with everything, that we really take our time to do this, because I'm sure the fans are eager to hear it, but they also want to make sure that it's done properly and that we show the proper amount of respect having the queen of extreme. I would say it's going to take easy, a good eight to 12 months to set up.
0: Well, we will leave that up to time and we shall see and we shall see what happens because as I say on the two-man power trip, you never know who's going to be on the other end of the line when you're dealing with the two-man power trip. So, I don't know, Shane. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It is it is a, a part of your show. So, we do have to respect, but we shall see uh we shall see what happens here because there's a definite clamoring and like I said, whether it's me lobbying for it or not, I don't know. Maybe somebody's taking over my Twitter. But there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of back and forths, a lot of back and forths.
1: Oh, no doubt the fans would love to hear from her. But I think they'd like to hear from her to make sure that, that you know, uh, nothing against you and JP, but to make sure that we show the proper amount of respect uh, to the Queen of Extreme coming on the podcast. As of right now, when, if and when she would come on here in eight or 12 months. Uh, she would be the first guest on the uh, the Triple Threat Podcast, the franchise. So I, I think we have to really go slowly to make sure we do the right thing. And besides, you know, we want to make sure that we vet whatever it is she's going to talk about to make sure that it, it doesn't do anything. Like, like, I would hate for, a, like, something to embarrass you and John hearing, you know, that, that you hear it and you're, like, you're sort of embarrassed and caught off guard. So we just should proceed cautiously. <laughs>
0: All right, Caston. we will proceed with caution. We will put up the uh the caution tape and uh I think it was TNA that said cross the line. So we'll put up the caution tape and we'll uh we'll we'll cross the line when we get to the uh to the, to the marker, but we got to cover uh, a couple of world news topics here before we get to uh I feel like a shitload of wrestling stuff that's on our little yeah. sheet here. But we didn't get a chance to mention this last week because we covered Guilty as Charged 99, which please go back and listen to. It was a freaking compelling story from start to finish of Guilty as Charged 99. But we've got to talk about a few things. Firstly, I would like to speak of the Academy Awards. and the. Uh. Uh, the yeah, yeah, uh, we've we got to talk about this because I'm dying to hear what you have to say. But the Academy Awards is turning to an all-female list of presenters, an MC. The sketches are going to be revolving around female talent and they're starting to block invites to people who either have some kind of allegations or there's any kind of murmuring going on or there's uh, some kind of things that might be sketchy that could implicate you. They're blocking these guests from coming. Shane, what do you think about all this? Obviously, it's the most hot button issue in not only wrestling, sports, entertainment, politics. It's uh, the, you know whether it's the Me Too mov- movement or not. Uh, what do you think about this Academy Awards uh, marker that they're starting to lay down here?
1: Well, much like the Screen Actors Guild Awards, I-, I would urge everybody to go back and reacquaint themselves with the lyrics and the meaning of the lyrics to the song by Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall. Uh, in a nutshell, either you dress like me, act like me, think like me, talk like me, uh, or you're an outsider. So just come on board and, and become just another brick in the wall. Be just like me and think in all the same things, like the things that I like, dislike the things that I dislike. And that's what this is all reeking up to me. Uh, you know, at the Screen Actors Guild, you know, we've heard about the Academy Awards, the all female cast, uh, presenters, etc., but let's go back because it seems to me it's going to be like a repeat of what we saw at the Screen Actors Guild where, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know there was a, uh, an actress who, and we talked about this before, so I'll briefly mention it, uh, Blanco Blanco, who didn't wear black that night. Well, social media, not right of center, the left of center social media, tore this beautiful actress, a, a new asshole because she didn't dress like everybody else did that night. I mean, how dare her be an individual later in that show, Gary Oldman, who was nominated and won the best actor for his portrayal of Winston Churchill in darkest hour. Uh, the social media lit up on that because decades ago he was accused of uh, uh, domestic violence. No charges were ever filed. He and his wife remained together after that. And yet he wasn't worthy, uh, even though it was just a, a, a you know basically a, a non-starter as a, as a story. And then we saw uh, Ron Howard and Natalie Portman come out and to announce the Best Director. And when Ron Howard said, "Now let the nominees," Natalie Portman had to uh, chime in with some kind of condescending comment like, "All men naturally, or naturally all men." And the entire room groaned. Now, imagine if you've spent your life uh, working your ass off to create this uh, Mona Lisa in, in your art. And you're nominated for a major award. And when it comes time for them to uh, announce this award they, they, before they name you, the entire room moans and groans because, my God, you're a man and not a woman. I, I can't think of anything more condescending. You know, we hear from the left all the time how, how welcoming they are and how accepting they are, are of all the different peoples and, and you know, uh, from different backgrounds and different philosophies, et cetera. Unless you don't think like we do, and then we're going to attack and destroy and slam you because, God damn it, you're not another brick in the wall. And, and when I heard the same thing with the Academy Awards coming up, you know, that it's all female presenters. Look, nothing at all against women.
2: You
1: know, who doesn't love looking at women and talented women and that, you know, that are incredible on the screen and yet to turn this into a political foray? Uh, like, I, I saw something earlier today about uh, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, the UN ambassador, and, uh, you know, she about the Grammy Awards uh, over the weekend, and she said something along the lines of, you know, some of us like our, you know, all this great music without all of the politics. And I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but my question is this What makes an actor or an actress in Hollywood make me think that I should forget my point of view and just follow them because they're an incredible actor or actress, an incredible singer, an incredible writer, whatever? Uh, I have my own points of view. My my entertainment, as everybody knows, as political as I am, and I love politics. But when I'm watching a movie, listening to a song, reading a book, uh, the last thing I want is to intersperse politics all over that. And with all due respect to everybody in Hollywood, they all have a right to their opinion, but they don't have a right to beat me over the head with it. You know, we do it here on the podcast – uh, because the nature of this podcast is partially based on that. But anybody's welcome to tell me they think we're all full of shit. But this is what the nature of this podcast is. This isn't like, hey, tune in and catch Chad and John and Shane with their newest song and you know, or their newest book or their newest movie. And by the way, here's all these politics on top of it. And on top of that, if you don't think exactly like we think, we're going to go on the social medias and destroy you. It's, it's incredible. I've never seen anything crazier in all my life as pertains to the entertainment industry. Get back to what the hell you're good at doing and shut the fuck up about politics because you don't know what the hell you're talking about.
0: I, I hate to, to say, like, there's a carryover, though. I mean, and we you know, it's kind of obvious. It's carried over into all realms of the sports and entertainment and politics that... You have to be uber respectful of everything now where, you know, I mean, I can probably tell you almost every job I've ever had in my life has had uh, a female superior that I've just fallen in line and and listened to what my boss told me. I never thought it was a power struggle. I never thought it was anything else than just this person achieved their job because they earned it and I'm their subordinate. Sure. At the end of it, I never, ever thought. Too, does that make me less of a man now? Like I, I don't, I don't get why the the vice versa of the whole situation. But we'll talk about the the men's and women's Royal Rumble stuff later on in the show. But I, it's boiled over into sports in a, in a very large way. It's like I, I feel like saying that I'm not going to watch the Academy Awards, which I wouldn't do in a billion years anyway.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: It makes me now, you know, am I a misogynist? Am I a sexist? Because I don't want to watch it, but I wouldn't watch it anyway. You know, is it going to kill the ratings now, do you think, because they're making such a bold statement as to this is what you're going to get? Are people going to tune out because of that?
1: Well, I think so. I mean, look, now, now let's be clear. Just because you tune out or I tune out or somebody else tunes out, that does not make us misogynist. That does not mean we're endorsing Harvey Weinstein, or, or uh, what was the comedian, C.K.? Uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K., you know, hardly means in the linear logic that is the left, that because we're not going to watch, that means we're basically endorsing what they do. Far from it. But the point is, when I turn on an NFL football game, I as much as I love politics, I don't want to talk politics. I want to watch a football game. Uh, I, as much as I love professional wrestling, I wouldn't have spent 39 years of my life approaching 39 years of my life in it. If I didn't love it, adore it. But there are times, believe it or not, that I don't want to talk professional wrestling. Uh, what boggles my, first of all, I got to call a liar on you. You're a liar, Chad, because there's no way in the world that you've gone to work and had a woman superior that you didn't harbor a big chip on your shoulder that this woman's your boss, and you must have obviously thought she couldn't possibly deserve it because she's a woman. I'm being facetious, obviously. But this is the meme that the left puts out, that somehow uh, we believe that they're not worthy and we want to hold them all down. This week I heard, and I know it's tracking over, but I heard Nancy Pelosi say, uh, this immigration plan is just another attempt to make America white again. Uh, last year, we heard Joe Biden say uh, that this is just an attempt to put, as he's speaking to a predominantly African-American audience, this is just an attempt to put you all back in chains. My God. I mean, how how absurd is that? That I can't disagree or Uh, without being a misogynist or a racist or a sexist or some kind of a mist, it just boggles the mind. And I think most, if if you're looking at some of the numbers in the polls, most average sentient uh, Americans out there that can think for themselves understand this is a whole lot of bullshit and are rebelling against it. I saw a poll earlier today that said that, uh, and it really showed the, the the bifurcation of America, that of the people that vo- the Republicans that voted for Trump, he maintains an almost 98 percent, a little more than 97 percent support ratio among Democrats. Uh, it was 10 percent when he was elected. It's gone up to a stunning 11 uh, percent. Um, you know, but when you have this kind of split in the country where I've been told that anybody that goes to work like you, Chad, and has a woman boss or, or or multiple women superiors, that somehow you're harboring some kind of ill will and misogynistic thought that they don't deserve it. And it just boggles the mind. I, I, you know, I've never once in my life that I've had a woman superior or worked with women that I've ever thought... I'm superior to them because they're of the female persuasion and I'm of the male persuasion. But this is the meme that they, the left would have. You believe if you just sat and listened to their point of view. And it's it's so disgusting because, first of all, it's so condescending uh, and just on the surface of it. But if you dig in deeper and you begin to see how acerbic and how acidic and how uh, divisive it, it all is, which has to be by intent. I beckon back to my professor from college. Every action undertaken by government is with laser focus, purpose, and intent. Never happens to answer coincidence. This is lunacy. Lunacy run amok. All of it.
0: So, I mean, you can look at it from two worlds, obviously, from your... Professional, in your sports background—you've seen, uh, you know, how how women have been either you know, quote unquote, treated or portrayed or whatever. But then, as a teacher, as an educator, you got to be in an industry that not predominantly had women in control, but for the most part, you're dealing with a lot of administrators that are female. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, oh, yeah. at any point, as an as a teacher to an administrator. You, you have to follow a set of guidelines, and at any point do you feel as if, you know, you, if, I don't know if you could survive being a teacher today, I, quite frankly. I, I don't think you would survive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that which, you would be escorted out of the building. But
1: when, which is why I tapped out. I, I, I truly miss teaching the subject matter, and I truly miss the students. Who I don't miss dealing with are the moron administrators, and I don't mean to generalize. There, I'm sure there are some good ones out there. Uh, But in my seven years of teaching, I saw one administrator that I thought was worth his, you know, worth his weight in gold. The rest of them I thought weren't worth a pound of salt. Uh, Absolutely PC, afraid of their own shadows, would walk 10 country miles out of the way instead of confronting a parent who was as wrong as could be. Uh, My dad used to say, son, when you're wrong and you know you're wrong, you man up and confess you're wrong. But when you're right, not think you're right, but know you're right, you cannot acquiesce because then truth takes a hit. Well, administrators today across the country are acquiescing because they don't want the rigmarole of going with having to confront a parent when they know they're right. Shame on them all.
0: Did you ever have any feeling when you were a teacher and there was a female administrator versus a male administrator that they were any less powerful or they were any less in control of a situation just because of the, you know, the gender differences at all?
1: Not at all. To to me, I I never saw like, like same with Francine in wrestling. I didn't look at Francine as an inferior to me. She was part of my act and I treated her with all the respect that I could possibly treat her with uh, the same with teaching uh, my female co- counterparts, be it, whether they were teachers or administrators, I valued their input. I didn't agree with all of them, but I certainly didn't walk away and go, Oh, you bimbo! I can't, I don't have to listen to you because you're a woman and you're just stupid. Uh, I, I had worked with some incredibly professional women, teachers, male teachers, and a handful of incredibly professional female, and male administrators. But I also worked with an awful lot that I wouldn't hire to dig a ditch in public education. You know, the last thing that's wrong with education today, and I'm sure there are districts out there that are hurting for tax base, whatever, but by and large, just as a topic, public education is not hurting for money.
0: In your sports profession and your wrestling profession, obviously there's one uh, female uh, person in power, whom we will not bring up in this uh, discussion, who I know you have very strong uh, feelings against. So we will leave Miss Carter alone <laughs> for another night because that would be another show altogether. Uh, but, I mean, you know, from the Academy Awards perspective, just to be kind of light here, would you watch it? Do you watch those movies that are nominated? Because personally, and I don't know, I think I put John there since he's my good friend. I don't watch the movies that are nominated for an Academy
1: Award show. I, I watch uh, I watch movies that are of interest to me. They could win a million Academy Awards, SAG Awards, whatever awards. If it's not a topic that interests me, I ain't watching. Plain and simple. Uh, but I will add this: when I get this kind of shit shoved down my throat, that you know, this isn't this movie fantastic because it has a woman or somebody from this particular segment and, and sector of the population in it. Do I tune in just because it won all these awards and all the holy weird elites are, are lauding it? Absolutely not. If anything, it turns me off and I don't watch it because of that. Uh, I want to watch a movie to be entertained. Uh, I, I take politics very seriously as everybody can tell from this podcast and from my writings online. Uh, but, when I go to watch a movie, like I did last night with my son, Twelve Strong, phenomenal movie. Uh, but then you hear stories about how Hollywood tried to undermine Clint Eastwood's upcoming movie, The Fifteen Seventeen to Paris, uh, because quote it was uh, it, it shows nothing more than a uh, uh, a recruiting call for the U.S. military. Well, the last I checked, the freedoms that I enjoy today are all based on the U.S. military. So if I've got to choose your way of thinking or the U.S. military, that doesn't mean I'm blind to it. It doesn't mean I'm just going to follow them blindly. But I'm far more willing to put my faith in the basket of the U.S. military as opposed to some holly weird elite. Sorry, that's just me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I tend to to lean with you. But, John, I mean, I don't want to speak for you uh, like I just did. But, I mean, you know, I know you're somewhat of a movie buff, a movie aficionado, and we've uh, we've seen many movies together. Uh, most of them, they don't have, like, a Will Ferrell in them or uh, somebody <laughs> of that comedic nature. I, I mean, I don't know where your tastes are at these days, but, John, are you going to be watching uh, the Academy Awards or any of those movies that are nominated in the Academy Awards?
2: Definitely not on the Academy Awards and no on any of those movies. It depends. I mean, I would have to be really interested in the movie or it would have to appeal to me or something. I don't care if it was nominated because I, I don't take any credence in that whatsoever. But if it is a good movie, I will watch it. But this year in particular, I will agree with Shane, there's none none of these movies really particularly interest me. So I really just, I'm not going to watch the movies and care less about uh, the Academy Awards, especially with all the bull shit going on uh, <laughs> You know, with all these women.
1: Do you guys? I'm, I'll ask you guys a question real quick. Do you guys find like I do, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, when the critics tell me this is going to be a phenomenal movie and I should go see it, and I do, I typically don't like it. It's it's no. I normally follow my tastes of, you know, like the things that are usually drawing a a good house and uh, you know selling a lot of tickets and you know you hear word of mouth and you go catch it and you go. wow, well, that was a damn good movie, or I really enjoyed that, but. Yeah, you, know, you hear, you know, just in general, all the quote unquote experts saying, you yeah, know, this movie, you know, uh is a fantastic movie. You should go see it because blank 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 and you go see it and go, That was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, do you guys find the same thing?
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can't agree with the critics. Yeah, I mean it's
1: you know, if you follow the critics you'd watch some of the worst movies ever made.
0: Yeah, but you know what? i got to tell you something. I mean, and I'm not trying to be too cool for the room here, but I do that with everything. I mean, and you guys will probably both call me on the carpet for this one. I think, Shane, you've already mentioned this show, but like, and I'm going to go the TV route here, but when a show has got a popular acclaim to it, I've already, and if I haven't gotten into it from the start, like I've already got an eyebrow raised because it's not going to live up to the expectations in my eyes. And actually, one I know with John for sure is the show Lost, but also the the one that I could just I can't get into is Breaking Bad, and I'll tell you why before anybody comes oh. down my throat. And, and John, you might understand this one. I personally cannot take uh, Brian Cranston seriously as a title character because he is uh from he? what's this uh he's uh dr Watley on seinfeld i can't yeah i can't uh (laughs) i can't take him seriously i'm sorry i so i tapped out of breaking bad because of
1: that (laughs) now see i i have to disagree you know my sons grew up watching malcolm in the middle and you know so i my first introduction to brian cranston was was malcolm in the middle you know the comedic role (laughs) that he played and and did fantastically but uh, when I first I started watching in the second season and then had to go back and watch the first season to sort of catch myself up. Um, what astounds me about Bryan Cranston and let's face it, he was one of the guys that was going to leave the country if, if if Donald Trump was elected. So he and I are probably about as diametrically opposite on political points of view. But I don't care what his political points of view as long as he's not beat me over the head with it. Uh, when I watch him play this role uh, in Breaking Bad. And I, I just finished up, by the way, at a sidebar, finished up season three of uh, uh, Better Call Saul. Fantastic show, which is the uh, prequel to Breaking Bad. Uh, but when I watch Brian Cranston's portrayal of Walter White from season one to the sixth and final season, you know, the, the, the arc is so wrestling-esque, you know, that you've got this guy that is a chicken shit baby face in season one, afraid of his own shadow, that by the end in this slow building arc from season one to the final season, at the end, when he says to his wife, you know, I did it because I was good at it and I liked it, you know, meaning he was a murderer and, you know, a drug kingpin and all these horrible things. Uh, But when you go back and you look at that wrestling, that, that arc of the character, it is so reminiscent of wrestling when a character is well-drawn, well-defined and allowed to impl- implement what he can do. And let's face it, Brian Cranston is a phenomenal actor, although I don't agree with any of his politics. But that is exactly what I'm talking about with this entire discussion, is that I, when I watch him play Walter White, I don't think of... Oh, by the way, Brian Cranston said he's going to leave the country if Trump is elected. I watch him for his astounding acting and portrayal of that character. And... You know, I think that sometimes a lot of people, and I think sometimes Brian Cranston as well, th- in Hollywood think that somehow what they think is so much more important than the rest of the world because they're in Hollywood, which to me <laughs> separates them as far as they could possibly be from the average American. Average Americans don't make 10 $15, 20000000 million per movie and live a lavish lifestyle. Most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, I just saw last week... Uh, Some inordinate percentage of Americans don't have enough money to save to get through any kind of major problem, the car breaking down, uh, something big going wrong with the house. Most Americans don't have the cash saved to pay for that kind of emergency, which just shows you how far separated they are from any of the Hollywood elites.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh that's a terrible study and uh I'm sorry, I'm just gonna have to close it out by saying, uh if it wasn't for five episodes of Seinfeld where Brian Cranston played Dr. Tim Watley, uh the <laughs> dentist who converted to Judaism strictly for the jokes, I uh I may be able to watch uh Breaking Bad. So I'm sorry, I just had to end it on that
2: note.
0: But We'll move forward here a little bit, and uh, we, we have to also mention, and this is one, Shane, that I know I've just been, I've been so entrenched in the, the job that I've got that I didn't really get a chance to pay attention to it, so I had to go do my research from something that you said, and that is talking about something coming out of the Hillary Clinton camp. And I think I know you, you mm. think, I, I think you, you know where I'm going with this, but yeah. uh, as you like to say, the champion of women's rights, uh, blocking yeah. the removal of an of an aide of hers that had some sexual misconduct uh, going on. I'm uh, basically under their watch. Uh, not really a champion uh, in my point of view, that, if that's what's going on. But give us the lowdown on that story.
1: Well, but it gets even weirder uh, as of lately. This happened in 2008 when she first ran for president, uh, which subsequently was won by Barack Obama in the primary and the election. Uh, she had a young 20 something st- female staffer who was being harassed by a much older, mid to late 40s, or even maybe even 50s, fat, balding uh, staffer that was working for Hillary. And this girl raised the issue. You can imagine on her end, she thinks she's working for the champion of women's rights. She's going to be heard. And instead, she was forced to resign. And the staffer was never confronted or questioned about this. Now, 10 years later, just, just within the last several days, uh, when this came to light, Hillary tweets out uh, how happy she is that this young woman finally had a chance to tell her story. Now, you know, I, I keep beckoning back to Hillary Clinton being the person, again, champions of women's rights, saying that uh, Women should. Her, I think, her exact phraseology was, "Women must always be believed," except when her husband was accused. She started and ran, and I'm not making this up. uh, A unit in the White House called the Bimbo Eruption Unit that went out and undermined and destroyed any woman that accused her husband, even though he admitted later under oath that these many of these things did happen. Uh, And then now to hear that as late as 2008 she was forcing some young woman who i'm sure was there because of her life aspiration being to get involved in the political realm and then to work for somebody like hillary clinton who i'm sure she looked up to and idolized to then be told you have to resign and get out of here because i'm siding with the guy that's sexually harassing you in light of all this me too and all the rest of this movement on right now i cannot for the life of me, imagine that the left, much like they did Blanco Blanco at the SAG Awards or uh, 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 Gary Oldman at the SAG Awards, and now the Academy Awards coming up, the all-female uh, approach to it. I can't imagine that the left would not eviscerate Hillary Clinton for the exact same thing, and yet they won't. Uh, they'll come out and they'll you know, give her another bye and pretend that this is just much ado about nothing. Yeah, go and talk to that young woman. I'm sure she was pretty destroyed by the fact that she was let go on top of the of, of the fact that she was working for a woman who I'm sure she idolized and looked to be so condescendingly treated. And it just the disingenuous approach of all this, like we've said before, I want to state up front before we go any further. Nobody on this podcast is advocating, and to the contrary, we're we're. Blasting anybody that would do something so heinous to a woman in any place, be it a workplace, in a bar, on the street, wherever. Nobody here is, is protecting any of that. And anything that happens to people like Harvey Weinstein uh, or Steve Wynn, if proven true, deserves to happen. But when you hear things like this story coming out, and uh, today I went through after I saw it on the run sheet and started looking, there, I could find no blowback to this at all, not, not anywhere. Uh, nobody calling Hillary Clinton to the carpet for this, uh, asking her for anything other, other than Hillary tweeted out, this young woman finally got, how happy she is that this woman got a chance to tell her story. Well, her story, based on Hillary's own words, a woman should always be believed, in and of itself, proves what a damned liar Hillary Clinton is, and what a what a fraud she is. And yet, the left keeps on sucking up to her, including uh, at the Grammy Awards when she's reading from all things the the uh, book by uh, on Trump uh, that has been derided as being uh, you know far less than a, uh, a piece of literary work, uh, much more like a supermarket tabloid. And yet she's reading from that as did many other stars, uh, from the music world. And like, it's, it's like a bizarro world. Like you couldn't make the, if you wrote, if you wanted to write a bad novel about making Hillary Clinton look bad, you put something like that in there. People reading it would, would laugh at you and say, that's ridiculous. She would never do that. And yet turn on the TV, turn on your YouTube and pull up the video and look for yourself. Uh, Champion of women's rights, I'd say Charles Manson is about as much a champion of human rights uh, and human life as Hillary Clinton is a champion of women's rights.
2: Now, I got to throw this out there for you because it's interesting. You know that, that the fact that she did that almost kind of embodies the reason why she lost the election. Like absolutely decisions, cockiness. Were you kind of thinking the same thing?
1: Absolutely. You know, and yet we keep on hearing the same thing. I mean, I've even heard people saying, you know, she's going to run again in 2020, please run her again in 2020. Uh, You know, to me, the thing that astounds me JP is that the democratic party by and large has placed all their bets on Donald Trump's going to get impeached. He's, you know, it's that first. And then when that wasn't working, we're going to go to the Russian collusion. When that didn't work, we're going to go to, is insane. He's abusing drugs. He's, you know, then he passes a cognitive test, 30 out of 30, a perfect score. Um, it, it's just gotten insane, all of it. And, you know, Hillary lost that election because she was a poor candidate for the office, uh, far too much baggage that she couldn't uh, explain away, although she tried and, you know this uh this FBI investigation that wasn't really an investigation she was exonerated three months before she was even interviewed and she was interviewed without being under oath uh unlike Flynn and others uh She was not even videotaped in this deposition and you know and they and then they being the people on that side wonder how is it that Hillary Clinton lost the election? could it possibly be? that the average American that they so condescendingly viewed, thinking these dumbasses will buy anything we tell them, is it possible that those average Americans aren't quite as dumb as they thought they would be and were able to actually listen to what Donald Trump had to say and believe that he was speaking more their language? And still, well over a year later, they're still not getting it. They're still doubling down. And believing that somehow tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, there's going to be something we can get Donald Trump on to impeach him. And it's just an astounding uh, foray in politics. But for me, more so than that, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about bifurcating America. You know, we're getting to a point where we've now gotten this, both sides, both camps, so entrenched. You try to talk to somebody that believes that Trump is going to be impeached, and you try to talk common sense, you try to talk law to them, you try to talk the Constitution to them, none of that matters. We don't like Donald Trump, so we're going to impeach him, Uh, and we're going to hold our breath till that happens. Well, I wasn't a big fan of Barack Obama. I wasn't a big fan of Bill Clinton's, but I didn't sit there and hold my breath and hope that he failed at everything they did and hope that everything they touched and it was just a matter of time before they got impeached no they were the president of the united states and whether i liked it or not i was supporting them their success based off of the fact that they were the president of the united states not my personal political points of view and yet we continue to see this same narrative pushed out by the left and you know like i said the the comments this past weekend of of nancy pelosi the democratic House minority uh, leader saying that all of this immigration from Trump is nothing more than a veiled attempt to make America white again, even though he's granting double uh, citizenship ultimately to double the number that the Democrats had hoped for. And all he wants in return for it is what we Americans voted on a wall to stop this insanity of absolutely no, Uh, oversight of immigration. Uh, How many tens of millions of illegal immigrants and immigrants we have in this country and yet we can't even tell you who's here, who's not here. You know, when we hear the number that's thrown out there for illegal immigrants, that's just with an asterisk. That's a guesstimate at best because they truthfully don't know, which is astounding to me. Look up the word sovereignty in the dictionary. Sovereignty starts with the, the definition starts with control of one's borders can anybody left or right argue that we truthfully have control of our borders it's 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 a joke all of it is a joke really
2: now i just got to follow that up with just something wrestling related but it, it does have to do with you know me too and time's up and things like that Enzo Amore recently got fired from WWE. Uh, someone accused him of, of rape, and then you get more into it. And it was from October, so they, WWE came out and said basically he was suspended. Then uh, about a day or two later, he was fired. But then it came out that the real reason was that he was under investigation. This was basically his third strike for you know many various reasons that we've you know, we've probably got into it before, but the fact that he didn't say he was under investigation by the police. As far as this whole Me Too thing and Enzo Morgan fired, what are your whole thoughts on this whole situation and this whole story? Are you even believing this girl at this point?
1: Well, it's, it, again, like I told you guys before we came on air, I, you know, I haven't been able to completely research and dig into it, but what I was able to find was that uh, that this girl continued to communicate with him through texting, I believe. Uh, I don't know if there was more than that. Um, but to me, if somebody had something horrible happen to them like this, and I don't think anybody would deny that sexual harassment and or more than that uh, would be any anything less than horrendous, and yet continues to talk to them. I had a friend, a good friend, one of my former students at my wrestling school uh, was accused of rape. Uh, he wakes up one day and has the West Virginia and the Pennsylvania state police surrounding his house. Uh, what had happened the night before was he went out to a strip club that he frequented. And one of the waitresses, as she was leaving stopped to tell him to cry on his shoulder about how horrible her boyfriend was, et cetera. One thing leads to another and things happen. Well, the next day, she, well, that night she gets home an hour, hour and a half, two hours later than she should have. And she, uh, I'm sure, nervously tells her boyfriend that she lived with that she was raped by this guy. Well, as things should happen, the police are contacted, the police come. The only problem was the next morning she had called and talked to my, my uh, former student for almost an hour on the phone. And that was what saved his ass. Had she not made that phone call uh, after having consensual sex with my former student, uh, had she not made that phone call, my former student would probably be in prison right now. Uh, so to me, as soon as communication happens, and, unless the communication was, fuck you, you piece of shit, I can't believe you did that to me. Uh uh, I don't know Enzo. Uh, I'm not trying to advocate for him based off of what I've seen and the little bit of research that I've done on it. If there was any communication after that, I think that draws a great big undermining of the entire story. Um, you know, it's uh, – and this is, I think, what, what, what gets us back to this Me Too movement is when any woman decided, we saw with Aziz Ansari last week. I from all references that we can see it certainly sounds like it was a bad date. Uh that you know, there was you know, without getting into the nitty gritty of it, uh this woman goes out with a disease and sorry and uh she's you know, back and forth, they had dinner, they had sex, blah blah blah. And after that she then comes out with this me too approach. You know, he was sticking his fingers in my mouth and everything else. Uh, but if you dig into it and, and look at the nuts and bolts of it, it certainly sounds as though it was just a really, really bad date. <laughs> like we've all been on in our lives. And, you know, if you're going to go out and just destroy anybody, destroy their professional life, destroy their personal life over this, uh, to me, it takes a lot more than just an accusation. Like this uh, woman with Enzo, uh, uh, the Enzo case that he uh, Enzo Mori that you know if she communicated with him afterwards and continued to communicate with him, that to me is just a really big. I can't believe it because if this girl felt that she had been raped or molested or sexually harassed in some way, and yet there's this continuation of back and forth, you know what's her argument? Well, I was going to be, you know, he had control over my job. Uh, You know, there was also a lot of drugs involved and everything else. I mean, you know, come on. It's not like we're five-year-old kids just coming out of mommy and daddy's uh, embrace. You know, if you walk into a hotel that time of night and you're up in the room and, and, you know, things are going on and you're tweeting back and forth to your friends that you're here and, you know, you're looking forward to this and everything else. And then something happens. Sorry, that doesn't pass litmus test to me for uh, rape, sexual harassment, molestation, whatever. Uh, again, and uh, let me just end by saying I don't know all the ins and outs of that story other than the few things that we had talked about and the things that I had seen online. So if I am speaking out of line... I apologize, but from everything that I could find uh, in, the, in the short amount of time that I was reviewing this and researching it, it certainly appeared to me that there were more question marks than not, and as such, uh, I'm not so prepared to say, okay, that's it. Let's destroy this human being based off of that alone. Uh, it takes a, a lot more than just an accusation from where I come from and from my point of view.
2: And I could be totally wrong on this. I saw her on TMZ, kind of like, you know, stating her case and things like that. And you know, I don't mean to sound rude, but she did seem a little bit wacky. So I mean, it's just sometimes you can't really say that they definitely are guilty or they're definitely innocent. But I'm just, just by looking at her, I mean, I could be wrong. And just by the hearing her talk, it was almost like. not just trying to get famous, but she's she's trying to kind of pile on, and I don't know. Sure. I I, I wasn't 100% believing her.
1: Well, look look from the standpoint of right now in today's society, in America, everybody's a victim. and Nobody's responsible for their own actions. If something bad happens to you, and I've had a lot bad happen to me in my life, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. I'm a victim. And especially when you start talking – about people in the entertainment genre, most people believe from the outside that anybody that's on television, anybody that is in a company as large as WWE must certainly be a multi-multi-millionaire. And so what's the matter if they just give me a million or two? It's uh, Well, first of all, they don't understand the pay structure at all in professional wrestling. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I'm a fervent believer in personal responsibility. If I walk into a bar that I know is frequented by drug dealers and everything, you know, a really bad element and a a police drug sweep comes through there and pulls me in, you know, based on my history with Oxycontin and everything else, Shane Douglas is in a bar frequented by drug dealers. Well, obviously I must be guilty, right? I mean, how could I not be guilty? He's a former OxyContin user uh, 13 years ago, and ergo, he must be guilty. Uh, No, the personal responsibility comes in with the fact that I should be smart enough not to take my ass into that bar in the first place, if I know that's what it is. And secondly, beyond that, it, it takes evidence. You know, maybe Shane Douglas is driving through a town that he was unfamiliar with and walked into a bar to have a beer and... Was happenstance. This is why in anything, when you're going to do something that destroys somebody's life, you have to do a complete diligent, a completely diligent investigation and make sure that you've left no stone or as few stones as possible unturned to make sure before you come out with these accusations. So, you know, so I'm guessing that this girl without having seen the interview you're talking about is coming off of this poor me. I just went by to get an autograph and Next thing I know, this guy was raping me. And ergo, I should get a whole lot of money. And it's just, it's crazy to me. And, and I'm not trying to minimize. I can already hear the, the you know, the Me two people come back and say, oh, you're, you're trying to make light of this. Absolutely not. I, I am trying to call some sanity into this conversation that if this woman had some proof more than just, a day or two later, she decided to come forward with this, and there weren't these multitude of texts that she's to her friends that she's going here to do drugs and this and that and the other thing, and now coming out and saying something other. Uh, you know, it just, to me, it, it's, you know, we, we use the phrase slippery slope. Well, if all it takes is accusation, then every man that's having sex tonight with a woman is in trouble tomorrow morning, if that woman so decides. And I I just, I'm not so quick to go there. In fact, that mortifies me in thinking that way, because, you you know, ultimately what this is going to do, I think, is put a Paul, P-A-L-L, over, you know, if you're going to walk into a bar tonight and you see a beautiful woman on the other side and you start talking to her and, besides you want to leave and she is giving off every vibe that she wants to leave, you are taking one incredible hell of a risk to walk out that door and follow through on everything that it seems that you want to do. And she wants to do because if that woman wakes up the next day and decides "Eh, she is afraid she's going to look bad in her friend's eyes, or she doesn't like, she didn't like the sex or whatever you are in a shit world of trouble based on the way things are being conducted right now. And, you know, to me, it just takes a lot more than that. If you're going to destroy somebody's life, Uh, that said, anybody that has that evidence, anybody that has the information, i.e., I accuse you of this and I didn't call you the next day or text you the next day multiple times, uh, then By all means, let the investigation proceed. And if the evidence comes down that shows that, the weight of the legal system should come down on that person. But I'm not so quick to say I'm willing to destroy anybody's life based on an accusation.
2: Now, let's just change gears a little bit and go into more strong females that we do believe and are believable, incredible, and are somewhat of pop culture stars. And obviously, a huge draw as far as the MMA world goes. We'll see about the pro wrestling world as Ronda Rousey debuted at Mm. the well, not really debuted, but you know, pretty much put her stamp on things at the Royal Rumble, and obviously now is going to be a full-time WWE wrestler. What are your thoughts on Ronda Rousey joining the WWE? Do you think that's a good career move?
1: Well, you know, first of all, she claims that she's not retiring. Uh, from shoot fighting, that she's, uh, I I guess, alluding that this is just sort of like a side career. I mean, let's face it, anybody that follows the UFC knows that pretty much her career is over. uh, uh, As far as the UFC goes, Uh, she, you know, she's a good-looking woman. She's obviously incredibly athletic, uh, has, you know, a, a lot of tools at her disposal from her experience as a UFC wrestler. Uh, Our fighter, I believe that she could be an incredibly effective athlete and talent for the for uh, the WWE. But I think for anybody that follows uh, shoot fighting and professional wrestling knows her career as a shoot fighter is effectively done. Uh, going to work for the WWE does nothing to embolden. This isn't like Brock Lesnar jumping back and forth for Ronda Rousey having gotten her ass handed to her in the last, what, two or three fights that she had in the UFC. And now going to the WWE, I think that pretty much closes that door to her. She may be able to get one more uh, fight out of it with UFC. But the Ronda Rousey that we remember from two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, that that character died with the last loss that she had uh, uh, take in the UFC uh, But I think that said She could be Something powerful for the WWE If Capital letters If They build her properly If they present her properly And She is willing to learn the craft Those are big ifs, All of them I don't know Ronda I don't know her attitude But if she's willing to do that Let's face it She could obviously have Strong crossover appeal but if they don't do that, they just try to expect her to run roughshod over the fact that she was a UFC uh, uh, athlete and a successful one in that time. Uh, that doesn't guarantee that she's going to be able to draw a house in the WWE. Uh, her first match is going to be the really the litmus test. And I hope for her sake and for the wrestling fans' sake, that she takes the time to learn that craft so she just doesn't go there and think that, well, I'm Ronda Rousey from the UFC, so the wrestling fans should just bow down to me. Um, I don't expect that to be the case with her only because of how diligently it seems she approached her matches in the UFC. But if she does try to do that, I'm going to predict that she'll fall flat on her face. If she doesn't do that and she applies the same type of professionalism as she did in the UFC, I think she'll be very successful in the WWE.
2: It's interesting some of the ways people get into the WWE, and obviously MMA is one of those kind of natural ways because pro wrestling is kind of like the the grandfather, if you will, of MMA, kind of the godfather of MMA. But do you think that it's harder to go from pro wrestling to MMA or MMA to pro wrestling because we've seen success Uh, Kind of going both ways
1: Well it's a great question Um you know it's been So scantily done I mean there hasn't been a lot of people That have done the crossover successfully both ways You know obviously Brock Lesnar Comes to mind uh, But we've also seen like CW Punk not enjoy the same level of Success although he was fantastic in, in, In the pro wrestling realm Um you know One doesn't guarantee success in the other Either way uh in my experience, when I came into wrestling, the wrestlers that either had Olympic background or a strong collegiate background, it seemed most of them had a very, very difficult time uh, transcending uh, and crossing over to professional wrestling. You know, they in their mind they all came with a big chip on their shoulder. These guys are all fake, and this is all garbage. And they came in with that chip, and therefore weren't able to adequately connect on that level uh kurt angle did a phenomenal job of it you know your, your olympic gold medal medalist part of the most successful amateur uh shoot wrestler that came into professional wrestling and was able to do it in an incredible to, a, to an incredible level of success uh so one doesn't guarantee success in the other just because you're a successful olympian uh, amateur wrestler, collegiately or or uh, in the Olympics, uh, does not mean that it's just going to be a cakewalk to walk into professional wrestling. You know, I saw a lot of wrestlers that had incredible wrestling backgrounds when I was a uh, kid in the business coming to wrestling and just unable to grasp what it was professional wrestling was and is, and the same way back the other way. You know, CM Punk found out because you're a top draw in professional wrestling and even willing to go out there. and I'm sure CW or, or, or CM uh, really busted his ass to train. Doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to guarantee the same success in, in shoot fighting. So to me, it's, I think it gets back down to what I always talk about the craft. Whether the craft is shoot fighting or professional wrestling uh, or anything else, if you're not willing to put the time in to, to really. Hard nosed learn that craft, then you're probably going to fail. It doesn 't matter if digging ditches or painting Mona leases. If you're not willing to take the time to learn that craft, you're probably going to fail. And those uh, that uh, and, and even then I don't mean to suggest like like CM Punk didn't. It shows you that I think the CM Punk model shows you how difficult it is to transcend from one to the other. Uh, I have no doubt that CM really worked his ass off and, and trained hard, but it's just a very different beast. So for Ronda Rousey, the same thing, because of her level of success in the UFC does not guarantee that she's going to step into professional wrestling because it's a work or it's predetermined or whatever else, guarantees her success there. Ultimately, if she can't get into the ring, when that like, like Dominic Knudsen used to say to us in, in his school, you could have the best ring jacket and the coolest ring music. But when you get in that ring and take the jacket off and the music stops, you best damn well know how to wrestle. And if Ronda Rousey doesn't take the time to do that, she will become a laughingstock and just a, uh, an asterisk and a footnote in professional wrestling. That Again, if, but based on what I saw with her success in the UFC, if she applies that same type of professionalism and hard work attitude in professional wrestling, I think she'll be a huge success for the WWE.
2: Definitely feel like MMA to pro wrestling is going to be a little bit harder than people thought because the, the training and the amount of time and the days on the road is a lot more than MMA. So she's definitely got you know her work cut out for her. But I, I had to mention this real quick because you know, it was a week ago already this week, and there was so much buzz about it, but it wasn't really uh, as successful, I guess, as people had hoped. And that was Raw 25, and I just wanted to kind of quickly just get your thoughts on that because the show started out unbelievable. Vince came out. He basically you know, had the, the fans kind of chanting for him, cheering for him. Two seconds later, he has them, you know, yelling and cursing and, you know, he's calling them the peep and everything and, and really, really getting under his skin. Then Steve Austin comes out to a huge pop, gives Shane a stutter, gives Vince a stutter, and then pretty much the show was all downhill from there. Did you see Raw 25? What were your thoughts on it? And did you see all this kind of uh, negative backlash online? About well, I
1: did. I did. I, I didn't see it uh, live as it was going on. I was uh, tied up with my kids, but I did go back afterwards after the the strong backlash on, on the social medias and watch the different segments. You know, to me, what, what stuns me about this whole thing is for any of us that have been around the business, as long as we've been around the business, you could look at this on paper and see that this was going to be a shit burger. Um, You know, if I'm going to ask wrestling fans and you and Chad both are, if I'd say to you, Hey, I'm going to have this big event, it's going to be split between this building and this building, and we're going to have all these stars on it. And I charge you $400. So I, I, when I saw the $400 number originally, I thought that's what all the tickets in the Manhattan Center cost. And I was told this past weekend, so this is what fans told me. If I'm wrong, blame the fans that told me. But I was told that the balcony seats in the Manhattan Center were 400 that floor seats ranged from 1000 to $1,200. Now, if you come and you bring you and, you know, your wife and your kids and you spend, say, 1200 if you're a family of four in the bleachers, or 4800 if you're on the floor, and you get to the Manhattan Center and you get three live matches and the rest watching on Titantron. It doesn't take a brain surgeon. It doesn't take somebody in the business for 39 years to tell you that you're fucking somebody. And, uh... You know, with with the, to me, in my mind, with the company as large as WWE having this kind of a huge uh, uh, celebration of the success of Raw. And let's face it, it's been successful for 25 years from the days of Bobby the Brain Heenan and Grilla Monsoon and, uh, you know, from the time that it launched as a talk show and then on to... uh, you know, the success that it found later as, as a live wrestling show, to to, to say on paper we're going to charge our fans this much money to come and get a couple matches live and the rest on the Titan Tron. My question would immediately be, if I was sitting in a production meeting when they said that, my first question would be, why you know, with the, the crew that we have, a lot of people obviously won't be working on the live show because we're bringing in the Steve Austin's and the Shawn Michaels and all the rest of these stars of yesteryear. Why not put some of our younger kids on, you know, let's put the, the crew in half. Let's put 20 or 30 guys and women in the Manhattan center and the rest in the other building and give these fans a real mega show for that kind of money. Um, why they didn't do that. I have no clue. Uh, I don't know if it was just oversight, uh, not caring, uh, whatever it was. But on paper, that looked like shit, and it turned out to be shit. The last thing you do in any kind of business that you're giving a a service, and let's face it, professional wrestling is giving a product to the fans to like or dislike and to come see or or not come to see. When you're charging that kind of money to an average person to bring their family and come there and support this, And you veil it in this, hey, it's going to be a big 25th anniversary. I mean, how many people in America over the last 25 years uh, have grown up at one point or another loving WWF, WWE, Monday Night Raw? And so you put this on a platter and put it out there and give it that off as, you know, we're going to have this huge celebration. Come on out and take part of it. And then you get there and find out that you're getting three live matches and, the rest on the Titan, you're basically watching T V and paid that money for it. You know, to me it just reeks of, of condescension in that me as a billionaire don't give a shit if you as a blue collar guy or a low white collar guy have to spend this money that's a king's ransom to an average family to come out and to pay that much money and we're gonna give you this and well hell you should just be happy because well hell I'm Shane Douglas and this is my company. And you should just be happy that you're here. I'm giving you a celebration. And (laughs) like I said on paper, that looks like a shit burger. And yet it just, uh, you know, I would never say that Vince is stupid. You've heard me say this a million times in this podcast. Uh, Vince and I, as everyone knows, have very keen differences on our approach to the business. But this has nothing to do with that. When you look at this on paper, this looks like a bad deal for the fans. And I can't believe that somebody as intelligent as Vince wouldn't be able to look at that, or his underlings, whether it's Hunter, Stephanie, or Shane, or somebody else, one of the writers, that somebody didn't have the cojones to go to Vince and say, "Uh, Vince, did you see this? This might not be so good. And yet that was still what was portrayed out and given to the fans for thousands and thousands of dollars. It was a family of four. Uh, just a really bad condescending deal of the fans, and one that doesn't surprise me in the least in the way that they approached it to the WWE. But you know, each fan has to ultimately decide for themselves. Will they continue to support this company and uh, uh, you know pay their hard-earned dollars? I mean, you know, how much does the average person work to make it again, if it's a family of four to get four front row seats in the Manhattan Center, close to five thousand dollars. How much does the average family of four? How hard does that person, the, the, the you know the breadwinner in the family, how hard do they have to work and how long to make five thousand dollars plus? I'm short sure, t-shirts and a hot dog and a drink and every parking and everything else. A shitload of money. It astounds me that somebody in the WWE, let alone Vince himself didn't look at this and go, wait, we have to reconfigure this because this is a real shit burger.
2: Speaking of that, you may say the same thing about Vince's other project, and that was the relaunch of the XFL. Do you think this is the right time for Vince to be kind of taking his eye off the prize that is WWE? Well, yeah.
1: And no question about it at this time, from where I sit and look at it, uh, I don't see right now the WWE as a wrestling entity. And I know he'll say, we're not wrestling sports entertainment call, whatever you want to. I don't see right now. the WWE is just rolling along on autopilot so well that nobody has to be concerned uh, with pushing it forward. I think uh, to the, to the contrary, I'd argue, I would argue that right now more than ever uh, that somebody needs to grab that by the reins and really focus on how do we move the WWE to the next one? How do we reinvigorate our, our fan base? How do we draw those fans back in that have tuned out, the, the tens of millions that have tuned out? How can we do, uh, what can we do, and how do we get them back? Uh, so I would, I would argue that this is the last time, the worst time, for Vince McMahon to be talking about starting some other side project that draws even 10% of his time away from the WWE, and let's face it, I'm sure it's going to be far more than 10% of his time. Uh, but taking it a step further, the XFL, the first time, failed miserably, and, you know, we tend to seem to forget, but over the weekend, I got a chance to watch, at the hotel in Philadelphia, the 30 for 30 on the XFL, and it rekindled a lot of the things that I had forgotten about, you know, with the XFL. So now Vince is saying that it's going to be a spring-based league uh, and not imbue the things from professional wrestling into it that he did the last time. You know, the, the, the na- nicknames on the jerseys, he hate me, et cetera, and the, the uh, coaches having angles, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, so my first question would be, based off of what Vince said in his announcement, Um, what makes Vince McMahon believe that in the spring fans of football are going to be willing to tune in to see a spring-based league after we've already seen the USFL several years ago with multiple uh, billionaires involved, including Donald Trump, and getting some of the, best players coming out of football that year, including the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, we had Mike Rozier. We had uh, 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 Herschel Walker and several other, some of the best players coming out of college that year. And yet they couldn't make a real go of it. So what makes Vince McMahon believe that in the spring, two years from now, people are going to want to see second, third or fourth tier players who couldn't make it to the NFL play spring football big question mark to me uh i believe that this whole thing is predicated around the fact that uh you know we've seen nfl ratings decline pretty strongly over the last two two and a half years based largely on the kneeling and that sort of thing uh that vince thinks uh, i'm guessing i mean i'm just taking a shot in the dark here that vince must be thinking that now that all those people have tuned out from the NFL based off of the kneeling and based off of the numerous rules changes that, you know, I, like I said last week, I watched the Jaguars and Patriots game. And I can't tell you how many times in the game I kept looking at my buddy and saying, cause I hadn't watched the full game in a while. And I said, well, why is that a penalty? Or why isn't that a penalty? And like they hit on Gronkowski. That to me, was just a damn good football hit. I didn't see a penalty in that, and yet it's a penalty. So I don't even know the game anymore. But I think that that's what Vince is banking off of, that, you know, with all these things, the kneeling and the rules changes and the game not resembling the game that we all remember, that somehow that means that, you know, millions and millions and millions of American fans are going to say, you know what, let's tune into the XFL and see what happens with it. Um, On the face of it, I don't think it has legs. But I will always digress back to this with Vincent Mann is that he has a knack about him to be able to pull, uh, or, or as Dusty Rhodes used to say, make chicken saddle out of chicken shit. Um, but I personally, I wouldn't invest in the XFL. I don't see a successful uh, nature to it. But who knows what's going to happen between now and 2020 when the XFL launches. Uh, will the XFL or the NFL continue to kneel and piss off even more people like they did this week with the NFL uh, refusing to accept an, a paid ad from American veterans during the Super Bowl, and the kneeling and the you know all the rest of the stuff that we've seen? Will that continue to go on and continue to piss even more people off to the point that they will look for something else? It's quite possible, and. I, like I've said, the one thing about the, the XFL, to me, is going to be this. It's either going to be a uh, resounding turd in a punch bowl and lose Vince a shitload of dollars, or it's going to hit and, you know, <laughs> make Vince really a genius again. I don't expect that to happen, but with – there are so many variables that we don't really – we can't really state today. It's really difficult to make a full-fledged – uh discuss it one way or the other but personally I don't think it's going to be successful.
0: Do you think Vince took a gander at that uh 30 for 30 and saw his greatest failure be uh put on such a pedestal that it might have created somewhat of a fire in the belly of the uh the chairman of WWE and said, "You know what? I got to write the wrong that I did in 2001." And I got to relaunch this bad boy and basically shut up these critics that have uh, just basically shit on his idea from the first, uh, you know, the first go around.
1: I think that's probably more that's what's at work here than anything. You know, anybody's ever heard me talk about Vince hears me talking about the narcissism that is Vince McMahon. Um, you know, Vince doesn't take failure well, and especially if you tell Vince he can't do something. So I think again, it was sort of ironic that. You know, late Saturday night, uh, I was wa- or late Friday night. I'm sorry, I was watching the XFL on es thirty for thirty on ESPN, and you know, hearing some of the things that were said about, you know, this being Vince's greatest failure and things like that. The Vince man that I know, that is the exact kind of language that digs deep in him. So. I'm sure that's part of it, you know, and it's a human trait. You know, you fail at something, most people want to go back and try to correct it and redo it. The difference is uh, that's usually in just typical day-to-day human activity. It's not in something spending hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, gambling the future of a company on. Um, so uh, again, we'll see. But I have no doubt that, you know, the question as you posed it's certainly at play here. Vince McMahon, had a huge debacle with the XFL the first time and lost his ass. By the way, it wasn't the first time he had that. He's had it, you know, Vince bankrupted uh, or came damn close to bankruptcy multiple times before the original uh, WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania. And he also lost his ass on boxing. He lost his ass on the World Bodybuilding Federation. He lost his ass later on the XFL and, you know, several other things. So it's not like, like Vince is the uh, King Modest. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's got as many, if not far more, failures at things like the XFL and the World Bodybuilding Federation and the uh, boxing stuff uh, than, he, than he has successes in WWE, but people remember him for the success that he's having the WWE because it has been so hugely successful.
0: Uh, the, the Midas touch, that's not Vince, that's, uh, that's Triple H now. So anything Triple H touches uh, is, is what's turned into gold. But t- speaking of touching, and before we hand it over to John to get into the little last franchise anything, I saw you share the tweet, so that's why I got to pose this to you because I didn't get a chance to even add this to our run sheet. But you, you shared the tweet of the Sasha Banks kicks, in the Royal Rumble match. Now we, I don't want to say we're picking on Sasha Banks in the show, but she's been brought up a multitude of times over 33 episodes. But Shane, these kicks in the corner to Lita in the Royal Rumble match. I mean, it basically looked like there was aerobics being done in the ring. That was just like a stretch that didn't come anywhere near to Lita. And what do you think about watching something like that being done on a pay-per-view of all shows?
1: Well, I, to be all honest, to be to be completely honest, in watching that video, I didn't see anything that was done wrong with that kick. Uh, if you watch closely as the kick is laid in, it's laid in perfectly between the shoulder blades. Uh, I was told and read that the, the move was done the night before on a on a house show. And, uh, you know, I believe in making the move look believable and, and laid in, as opposed to, like, the thing I retweeted today was somebody in the ring Throwing kicks that were missing by literally, yeah, 12 no, that inches. was
0: it. That was Sasha. She was that, that. That's the two different things. Sasha is the one that kicked Paige in that same spot that you're discussing. But the one I'm mentioning is the the one that you're just saying now, where I mean Sasha Banks is kicking air. I mean it was it was like yeah. I said it was like aerobics. There it, it was it was almost like a, a full stretch. There was no <laughs> there was no physical contact, Not even remotely physical contact. Right.
1: Well, and, if you go back and look at the video, she's not even looking at her target. Right. You know, she's looking. she's looking around her. Uh, it clearly tells me that somebody is not teaching these kids anything proper about what we're supposed to be doing in the ring. It's just as long as it approximates it closely. As long as my, I'm getting my foot up and I'm just sort of swinging it in the general direction. So, that's close enough. That's good enough. No, hardly. And... uh you know, I, I keep echoing back to the things, the, the way the industry used to be. Had she done it on a Bill Watt show, she'd have caught almighty hell. And had she done it again, you'd probably never have heard of her. Um, but my question, I wonder, just just aloud as I'm thinking this through, is she to the point where after that, the last fiasco uh, with the kick to to to. Uh, her back and uh, to pages back and hurting her, uh, or her getting hurt. I shouldn't say that the, that she hurt her. That the the, the kick caused the problem. Um, is she afraid of catching more blowback? You know, because the last when that last one happened, there was I was getting all kind of questions posed on Twitter of, you know, do you think this was right and don't you think she was wrong and you know should you know she she's catching hell in the dressing room, blah 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 blah. And you can understand how for a young kid, in the, you know, in the business, you know, second guessing if they're catching on kind of blowback and everything else, but you can see how that then plays out. You take it a step or two forward and you see these kicks that look just like drizzling shits and her not even looking at the target as she's laying those kicks in. I, I mean, my first question to her would be what was so compelling and interesting to you that you're looking around the, the venue and everywhere else, except at the place that you should be focusing where the kick is being implemented. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I keep on feeling. I have to pre- you know, preface everything with saying, well, I'm not blaming her, but clearly there's something broken in that system with a multi, multi million dollar training center and paying all these former wrestlers, to train these kids I want to know I want somebody to stand up and say I'm the one that taught her to kick I want somebody to raise their hand and, and tell that because somebody clear is clearly at fault in teaching her and if it's just her that's not giving a shit then fire her ass what the hell would you keep her on there for if she's so nonchalant and I'm caring about the presentation of the product in the ring, be it sports, entertainment, or wrestling. And yet, I watched that, and like my stomach just like tightened up watching it. How has our industry gotten to that particular point?
0: Yeah, you mentioned she was looking off in the distance while she was kicking. And the thing that is alarming about that is who she was in the corner with and that's Lita, who has a well-documented injury history with her broken neck, having to retire at a young age because of neck injuries and things related to her knee and so many things that she had happened in her short but very storied uh, career that what if she looks off in the distance and that ill-placed kick does connect, and now we're dealing with a serious injury to somebody like Lita, who's not an active competitor.
1: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And what kind of bad PR comes from that? I mean, if you're going to be throwing kicks, I don't care if it's a work kick or not. If I turn my head and I'm kicking at something, I don't know what the distance is. I don't know where you I don't know if you've moved an inch or two or whatever. Do I kick your teeth out? Well, as long as I I guess I, if I say I'm sorry afterwards, that makes it all better. Gee, sorry, Chad, I kicked your teeth out. Um, or like you said, worse, kicking lead in the neck and possibly causing her very serious uh, health problems. I just don't understand how this girl who's been on TV now for them for a while and been working with them for a while, how does it get to the point where she's delivering something like that in such a shitty manner and looking away and and, and not apparently giving a care? I don't, I don't understand it. I would have been terrified to do something that stupid when I was a kid that age, because rest assured, the cowboy would have been waiting for my ass and booking me against Dick Slater later that night or the next night. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I, I, I can't talk about something. I don't know as far as the inside of the company, but clearly from looking at that performance and utter lack of professionalism, all I can surmise is that somebody that's supposed to be
2: teaching is fucking up on the job it is that time again a little ask franchise anything aka afa this one by email from Jason Worthing I'd like to know Shane pick on the upcoming Super Bowl between the New England Patriots and Philly the Philadelphia Eagles Shane who you got in the Super Bowl well i you know
1: i got sent online with Twitter uh being that Philadelphia is you know the 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 new kid on the block, they've been only been in what what one other Super Bowl, uh, and being a Pennsylvania team and my connection to Philadelphia, I would love to see Philadelphia win I, because at this point the Steelers being out of it, I like seeing somebody new in there, and I like the idea that somebody else can win. Um, but also, I'm I'm also one of these one of the guys that I believe, you can call me uh, tin foil hat guy or whatever. I've watched for years watch the uh, Patriots have calls consistently go their way, as in the Jacksonville game uh, or or the Jaguars game when they were, uh, uh, you know, the lead official is, you know, pounding, you know, Brady on his chest and big smiles on the officials' faces (laughs) when they made – I mean, it's pretty hard to look at that and say, yeah, they're being – you know, they're being – calling it right down the middle. But if I didn't know better, I think I'd be watching – I'm watching the franchise – Uh, in all his heel glory, call a match right down the middle.
2: (laughs) You're about to be shocked on this one, Franchise. Since Brady and Belichick, 34 games, or playoff games that they've played, as far as penalties are concerned, 166 penalties have been called against the other team, against the Patriots' opponent. Can you guess? Can I stop the franchise? How many penalties do you think have been called on the Patriots? You mean in this
1: playoff series?
2: No, no, just it, this year. Brady and Belichick have started. Oh, that's thirty-four playoff games that they've had. So there's hundred in, in those thirty-four games. I don't, for whatever how you break it up, but in those thirty-four games combined, whatever opponents they had, hundred and sixty-six penalties. How many in that same thirty-four game span do you think have been called on New England?
1: I would say an average of about one per game, so like 35 to 40.
2: You're going to be shocked on this one, Anna, and I know a lot of fans are shocked. There was 166 against the opponents, 164 called against the Patriots. So when people say that the the refs are cheating all this other stuff, they got to look at the facts. It's pretty crazy. It's almost dead even penalties called.
1: I, I'd have to go back and review that and to see the nature of each of the calls because, in the ga- <laughs> now, again, stating up front, I don't watch – I haven't watched many games for the last couple of years and won't as long as this bullshit continues. But um, in the games that I've watched, like Prince the other night, the Jaguars, I, I watched, you know, the Jaguars defenders in the secondary getting called if they bre- seemingly if they breathed on the, the uh, Patriots receivers – and then in two of the plays of the very next offensive series for the Jaguars, I watched linebackers literally on the back of the receivers for the Jaguars and nothing get called. Uh, so, you know, I, again, I would I, I want to go back and watch each one of those 166 to 164 and see what the nature of those calls are because – I haven't seen it in the times I've watched the Patriots. But if if, if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong. But I'm standing by it that the Patriots get the calls far more in their favor than they do against them.
2: And people also forget this. Tom Brady last year was suspended four games virtually, basically, with no evidence. And if you realistically look at it, just for no reason at all was suspended for four games. So the NFL definitely does not like him. And they definitely did not want Whoa, to hold take on hold win on last year.
1: You got to think about that
2: out. as well. You,
1: you, you mean you mean with the the Deflated Gate, where the the gate, the regulations of the NFL said the ball has to be inflated to a certain pressure? Is that what you are talking about? Yes, yes. And he was suspended those games for that. And he did a very Hillary esque thing of destroying <laughs> his cell phone so that it couldn't be. Yeah, that all seems copacetic, doesn't it? it not, nothing there. There's no there
2: there at all. It's just... Yeah, but don't you think there might have been some naked pics of Giselle on there? Maybe that's why he didn't want anybody to see the phone?
1: If you had naked pics of Giselle on your phone, wouldn't you brag about it? I would. (laughs) Hey, look at the pics I have here. (laughs) No, look, here's the thing. I I, I think the reason the the Patriots get so much blowback, including for me, is because they're so goddamn good. (laughs) You know, it's that it, it just infuriates you, but I think it's going to be a great game. I, and I think the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles certainly have the talent to beat them. Like, like that first half of Jaguars in the uh, Patriots game. Boy, the, it looked to me in the second half the Jaguars changed their game, their uh, the approach to the game or something, because the first half they looked really stellar. And the second half they came out like they were trying to sit on a lead or something. But it's, uh, Philadelphia has a heck of a team. So does uh, uh, the Patriots. So do the Patriots. So it's going to be, a, if nothing else, it'll at least be hopefully a fun Super Bowl to watch.
2: Hey, nobody complains Aaron Rodgers over-inflates the ball. Nobody says anything, but when Brady, he <laughs> plays the ball a little bit. You know that's, uh, that's Let me guess.
1: Trick. Let me guess. Are that's you a Patriots trick. fan?
2: <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm a Giants fan. I'm hey, do- I'm I'm playing devil's advocate, got to got to defend the Patriots because everyone else always rips them, you know.
1: Does, does the Giants still have a team?
2: Unfortunately, <laughs> yes,
1: unfortunately. <laughs> hey, I, John, I can't say much. Go ahead.
0: No, John also said uh, he could see why people call Shawn Michaels the sexy boy with all this love he's got for uh, Tom Brady here. My God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you don't have a Shawn Michaels poster hanging in your bedroom.
2: No, I was never a, i was a Bret Hart guy. You're either a Bret there you go or, or an fan. I was a Bret Hart guy.
1: <laughs> there you me too. Me I'm I'm a bre me I'm a bread guy, but uh it's <laughs> the, the 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 uh the uh what's the word I'm looking for? The the uh uh what's the phrase they use in 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 uh, reporting the uh the 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 approach that you have to the uh, to the New England Patriots is very much uh, report, uh, the reporters uh, I'm tired the phrase escaping me right now but where you're you're calling it right down the middle unlike the fake news uh, so prevalent today that we'll tell you it's daylight out right now even though it's after 11 p.m. in Pittsburgh it's daylight if you listen to the fake news.
2: That is true, but I just got to say this: Are you going to be able to watch the Super Bowl, given the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers finished the season so, you know, depressingly?
1: No, I, 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 uh, I'll probably go to a friend's house and and, and catch some of the game. It really, I'm, to be honest, the last two seasons I've had very little interest in the NFL, and and after the Steelers lost to the Patriots the first time in that. Uh, now infamous catch by Jesse James was ruled no catch. If that's not a catch, I don't know what is a catch. (laughs) And, And to me, that's the problem for me in the game is having grown up and watched it. And I watch, and I don't know what is a catch, what isn't a catch, what's a penalty, what's not a penalty. Even though I've watched for close to 50 years, I can't make heads or tails of the game. I have to keep looking at people I'm with and go, well, why was that a penalty? And why was that a catch or that wasn't a catch? The, I don't know the game based on the rules the NFL has right now. And uh, to me, that that's not fun to watch something when you've spent that much time involved in something like football, and yet after all those years, you still don't really know the game. Uh, to me, it's like a moving uh, target. You, it's hard to sink your teeth into. And then you add on top of that, you know, for the son of a World War II vet, a highly decorated World War II vet, uh, to see people kneeling on it i don 't care what they say about that 's not their intention or whatever uh, to me, I take it that way, as do millions of other Americans and so i I will no doubt go hang out with my boys and my friends for the Super Bowl and have a couple of drinks and relax and eat some you know some horse divers but as far as watching the game uh, i I will pay you know one eyeball on it and one eyeball not on it and it's uh, uh, nothing again that has no bearing on the Patriots or the new uh, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. It's the NFL that I have the umbrage with.
0: Now, a true or false here for you, Shane. Before we get to the uh, to the plugs, the wrap, the whole nine yards. True or false? Will Chris Hughes be stepping down as your prestigious manager to pursue a career in the XFL in
1: 2020? True or false? <laughs> uh, if this was 10 years ago, I'd say probably. Uh, a true, but uh you know he's you know Moose has a uh, great job in uh, Toyota, and he also has two beautiful young daughters uh, whose names I won't mention since I haven't cleared it with them. But two gorgeous young daughters, uh, about two and I don't know eight nine months now, or maybe ten months old. I, I've lost track. So I think he's going to stay put at, at uh, Toyota and. But if it's ten years ago, I'd think it's a pretty good likelihood that the world will be seeing moose on the XFL stage.
0: <laughs> I love that guy. I enjoyed being around him uh, all day Saturday. It's always fun. I like uh, I like seeing him cover a wide range of emotions. He's happy. <laughs> he turns into the Incredible Hulk. Then he's uh, back to being happy again. And then you just uh, you want to give the guy a big old bear hug, you know, because he's uh, he's a big lovable creature that uh, that moose.
1: He's he's hilarious at conventions and things because you're exactly right. He'll go one minute with a big smile on his face because he's got to meet Barry Windham or Arn Anderson, and in the next he's, he's like ready to lose his mind because a fan asked three questions and, instead of two. You know, it's it's uh. He, Moose is great <laughs>
0: yeah he's great. I watched him uh he this guy can work a picture, and not just a picture an odd picture of like anybody surrounding the general area better than anybody uh, i 've ever seen in my life but he's uh, he's quite the uh, he 's quite the asset to the team and he's a great he 's a great part of it, and we uh, we love the moose so. As we get to wrap it up here, mentioned it before, going to mention it again. Please, go out of your way, people, and just get on to ProWrestlingTees.com. Pick up a franchise shirt, a podcast shirt, a Triple Threat podcast shirt. Hey, there's two-man Power Trip shirts on there. Just get on there. Pick one up if you can. You know, we we definitely want to start seeing them. We saw Shane Sporting it on the Twitch House of Hardcore show the other night, and he's going to continue to do so whether you like it or not. I love it, so he's going to keep doing it, and I'm just going to keep saying it's <laughs> great. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what I think, but please head on over to prowrestlingtees.com and check out those T-shirts. And uh, if you want, you can even go through our website, which is tmptofwrestling.com. There's a page for the Triple Threat Podcast. There's a page for the Two-Man Power Trip, and there's also a page for TMPTCon 2, which is coming to you this coming May 19th in Richmond, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn, I believe on Commerce Road. I'm just going off the top of my head, but all the information is on our website. We have a special rate set up for the Holiday Inn uh, down in Richmond that you can come to the show. You can get a nice hotel room. And we're starting to get some plans together for some extracurricular activities going on that weekend, and we're really going to try to make this special. We go to conventions all the time, and John and I have been putting our heads together for years, To get this together, so as the plans roll out, I really hope things are just going to be peachy keen. And it's going to be right now, we've got Shane, we've got Eric Bischoff, and we've got big, sexy Kevin Nash joining the fray down in Richmond. It's going to be one hell of a time. I can't wait for May, but a lot to come in the coming weeks. So, just like you heard with that question that was sent in for Ask Franchise Anything, Shane, that was actually sent in about three hours before... We started recording, so we had to kind of flip the plan and place this one in, and I, uh, I'm i really happy we did. That's how fast these questions come in for the Ask Franchise Anything.
1: I tell the fans every day we're getting ready to record that we have uh, you still have plenty of time to get the questions in, there, to get them into the free threat pod or the triple threat pod at gmail.com. And uh, as always, the uh, franchise fans, respond in droves, and I, I, I couldn't, I, and I say this very humbly, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of the fan base we've had. Since we started the podcast, I've, uh, I think, more than doubled, you know, my followers on, on, on Twitter and, you know, try every day as much as I can uh, to, to respond to all, of the, to all of the questions that come in. Uh, but on weekends, so the fans understand, on the weekends when I'm leaving, sometimes on a Thursday Uh, often, uh, times on a Friday, uh, that takes me out of the loop for, you know, three, four or five days, depending until I can get back. So if you pose a question, please understand that if I'm not answering immediately, it means I'm offline. And as soon as I get back on, I will do the best I can to get to all the questions. But I will say this, the fans have been sending in some really great questions that are applicable to something that's going on that day. Whether it's current events or something in wrestling like the Raw situation, uh, you know, so it's it keeps it interesting to me and hearing from the fans, and I and I I love it. You know, we just recently went over twelve thousand, and you know, continue to grow all the time. So for everybody out there listening, thank you for following, and please keep sending the questions, and I'll do the best I can to get back to them and answer them.
0: Yeah, and uh, we got to also throw out there. You mentioned the uh, the show Twitter, which is slowly slowly but surely building. It's at the three thread pod. I mean, I tweet out from my account. John tweets out from the at two man power trip account, and Shane, of course, you're rocking on there at the franchise SD. But we actually went live uh, from Icons on Saturday. We sent our good buddy Randy uh, out with the phone and out into the uh, out into the wild. We got you for a couple of seconds there, and we also took some video, had it on Facebook, and it was really cool. So we're going to do more of that. As well. If we're all together and we have the ability to, we're going to keep doing stuff like that because it's, uh, it's just a nice little look inside the world of what goes on at some of these conventions. And even when you scan the video, I watched it again, it's only about... I'd say a minute and twenty seconds or so, and you just look around the room and you see the Boogeyman, and then Paul Roma and Cowboy Bob Wharton, and even Butch Reed, who we just had on our show yes. uh, last week. I mean, come on! I mean, you just you can't miss out on any of these shows, and that's why TMPTCon is going to be so special.
1: Absolutely, but you know, I, I gotta you know call you guys to the carpet for a second because you know I'm I'm like a one of those guys that gets very nervous on camera and when you put a camera over like in my face and tell me to say something, I get like real clamped and real tense. And I, I'm just not, I'm not a natural on camera. So, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable doing those kind of things, but no, it was great. You know, the guy came over and get a chance to hammer it. And uh, like you said, you know, he, you know, it scans the crowd and look around and see if you, if you're watching at home, if you hadn't had a chance to yet and you watch it just as he scans around the room, just slowly click through it, you know, freeze frame it and, click through it and take a look at all the people that are sitting around. It's uh, it's a, literally a who's who of professional wrestling. And it you know, makes the things like icons and other conventions for a wrestling fan. One of the cool things to go to and, and check out because you do get a chance to see those wrestling superstars that you haven't seen for so long or you've forgotten about or whatever. But it rekindles. I can't imagine any wrestling fan coming to a convention like that and walking away feeling uh, like they didn't quite get their money's worth. You know, I think it's a it's a great, great thing for wrestling fans.
0: Well said, absolutely. And we can't wait to be more because uh, they're always popping up, and if we can get to them, we will be there. So, uh, Shane, I guess uh, looking forward, we got a big Super Bowl Sunday in the books this weekend, but what else do you have going on in the world of the franchise?
1: Well, this coming weekend I will be at, the ASW show, the All-Star Wrestling Show in Madison, West Virginia. Uh, it's been about a, a year or so since I've been down there. Looking forward to that. A g- great show in Madison, West Virginia. It's coming Saturday night. And Friday night, I have a very rare Friday night off that I will be going to my son's hockey game and his final hockey game of the season. So this weekend worked out perfectly, and really looking forward to it. And ne- the weekend following, uh, next weekend I'll be up in Maine And uh, looking forward to seeing all the fans up there. It's been a long time, so I've been up that neck of the woods. So looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, a couple of things on the burner that I hope to have bigger news I hear to talk about in the next several weeks. But, you know, the little emoji with the the whispering emoji, we'll, we'll keep that quiet. We won't tell anybody about that. And we'll talk about that later.
0: I hate when you do stuff like that because now we're at the end of the <laughs> show and we can't do any uh, any follow up. <laughs> so I'm just gonna have to innocuously tweet something at Francine just so she writes back now, just to uh,
2: <laughs>
0: just to kind of get back at you. But all right, well let's wrap it up here for this week. I got to tell you, just on paper, this has been one of my favorite shows we've recorded so far. It was a lot of fun. It flew by, and uh, always looking forward to the next one. So next week, episode 34 will be coming. Your way. So, Shane, do what you do best. Take us out the only way the franchise can and get it on to next week, a big old number
1: 3-4. The big 3-3 three, three underneath us. And now you get a chance to look forward to the big 3-4. Lots and lots of big wrestling action. And rumor has it, even some little indie football league coming in a couple of years. So, if you want the lowdown on professional wrestling, tune in right here with my tag team partners, Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling and the franchise, Shane Douglas. Do that. Or get your ass franchised.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.